On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, I have, do you go by Dave or David? Either one. Dave. With Dave Marlin, uh, who wears many hats. This is going to be, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this, this episode. Uh, you have an MBA, yes. right, in business. And then you have a, a master's in, in counseling. In counseling. But you're also currently working on your PhD. In psychology. In psychology. And what, what's going to be the emphasis with your PhD? Uh, addiction treatment. Because that's what you currently are, are doing now, right? Yes. I, I opened what became the largest drug treatment center in Nevada. Wow. Uh, I founded it and ran it for 13 years. I sold it to a publicly traded company. Um, they sort of crushed it, and I got to watch that and, uh, like, the spirit. Oh, oh, crushed it in terms of uh, they, they, they ran it in the toilet? Is that it did. Mean? Wow. When and you it, said crush it, I thought you meant like like they, they oh, took oh, off not like, good. Oh, like I yeah. crushed like they no. like like yeah. Like at, they, at first they were doing well and they were increasing census and, and it was all well intentioned. Right. You know, when they said let's reduce some of these staff ratios to, uh-huh. to make some more money, uh, at first, you know, it a little made, made a little sense. But then as you as I noticed the milieu changing with the clients, <laughs> when they said uh it's just their focus wasn't a heart-based, let's help people get sober. Their fundamental focus was we need to uh, deal with Wall Street. And uh, it was a really interesting process, sort of like a morning. And I went through the five stages of grief and stuff going through it. But seeing what they did to the company was interesting, especially because I know the CEO real well, and he was well-intentioned. Part of the reason he bought... My company was he wanted me and and some of that spirit. And um, it was just interesting watching this corporate dynamic. uh, And and it's a lot of what America's wrestling with right now is, you know, we're a capitalistic uh, country and it's about making money. But then again, it's greed that ends up being our downfall. So having that interplay between social goodness and caring and... uh, I, I got to watch that play out in, in my little baby that I sold to uh, a New York Stock Exchange publicly traded company. That that had to be. Now, what made you sell it? What happened was uh, running a rehab and having the payers, the big insurance companies, Anthem and United, have more and more requirements. I felt having the capital of a, of a Goliath would help me respond to the prior auth requests, respond to some of the electronic health record requests that they were having to to elevate my product. Plus, I've been doing it for a dozen years, and I felt us plateauing. And and I always want to strive to be better. So I I thought, you know, let's try this. We need more capital to elevate our service. And... uh, they did bring in some great things. I learned a ton of wonderful things. And we still helped over 5,000 people get wow. clean and sober, which is, you know, a, a gift of a lifetime. Congratulations. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you. Now, when, when you say plateau, yeah, what, what does that mean? It, it meant that if you had a client who, who came in and said, I'm dying, help me, five years ago, and then I had a client ten years, five years later come in, we were doing the same intervention. You know, I'm a, I have a big uh, fitness uh, background. So to me, I was integrating uh, the psychotherapeutic with the nutrition, with a strong fitness to co- component to help people get well. But the, the program over the five years, we, didn't, we weren't evolving and becoming that much better. Um, as soon as we required, we, uh, we brought in more psychiatry, w- which I which I ended up appreciating for a uh, sort of a, a, a cover-my-ass perspective. Um, one out of 100 clients would go a little sideways on me, and while I didn't feel I needed an in-depth psych assessment on every client, that one, that, that one little haywire, hay I was happy that we now had it on every client. When it was just my little rehab, it didn't make sense to to pay to have a psychiatrist do an assessment, uh, just a psych assessment on every single client. So stuff like that. Wow. Um, And and the reason why I asked about the plateau is because I I think that a lot of uh, 
people who are in addiction, um, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're always chasing something to make us feel alive, right? Chasing something to, um, uh, to, to make us, you know, when we feel plateaued, we don't realize that that's maybe an okay place to be, hmm. right? And here's what I mean is like, there are times where things are fine and instead of appreciating that things are fine, we go, how do I make this fine better? Right. Right? And sometimes that's where we, we get into trouble is mm-hmm. that we, you know, because I find that with myself that, you know, like I, I do, I, we're in Vegas now and, uh, and I'm doing shows and stand-up. And I find that I'm so busy trying to do more and do better comedically that I'm not appreciating what I have, wow. and it, it ends up shooting me in the foot. I, I'm always coming back. I'm always regressing to the norm. I'm like, oh, this is where I should be. And then I get there, and I get com- and I go, oh, this is too comfortable. I should be at a higher level. But no, you should be. You should be comfortable. Like the like the plane is not looking for turbulence. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're 100% right. <laughs> and that's integrated, I believe, with our disease. Well, how so? Um, I, I, I believe uh, failing to live in the moment and mm. appreciate the now. Mm. And, and as I said, I was striving to get better, yeah. str- striving for more. Right. And, and I strove for more in a lot of aspects of my life and found that that didn't fill the God-shaped hole in my heart. That I, I've uh, I've grown to uh, to do so, yeah. uh, although you know I'm not there yet. Yeah. Um, I I'm on a podcast and I want to tell you a quick less than a minute story. I was uh, about a dozen years ago. I'd opened up a rehab. I took my 401k out, and I bet my life on on opening this rehab. So I'm I'm running this company, and uh, clients ended up being the lifeblood of of this rehab. Well, I took my six-year-old son out to a, a spot early in the morning. We went and prayed, and we got down on our knees, and it was by the lake, and the uh, sun was coming up. As we walked back, I'm holding his little hand in mine, which felt beautiful. And he said, Daddy, what did you pray for? And I said, Son, I, I prayed for some more patience, patience like clients. Wow. And, uh, and we're walking back, and he was quiet and took it in like, it was like Yoda. He was like six years old, but he knew what was up. And uh, I said, son, what you pray for? And he said, uh, I prayed for the ones you have. Wow. It changed my life. Wow. Because um, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, at the time, I had three clients in my rehab, and I'm thinking, we can't survive. And he reminded me that I need to take care of these three children, these three precious humans that have, were trusted to me and chill out a little bit about getting the fourth. Yeah. That, you know, you know what that brings to mind? I mean, first of all, what a powerful story. And it, it, it shows you the, the, the insight that children can have. Right. You know, we, we a, a lot of parents, you know, tell kids don't speak unless spoken to or, and don't value what they have to say, but children see things that we don't see right because their their mind is much more active and and, and they they take it all in and they and they're fearless kids will make eye contact with you for days and there's and there's no there's no like looking away there's no head down there's right. they're locked in because they they're curious about human they haven't nature. been shamed and hurt by right. humans like this horrible yeah. process, yeah. middle school, <laughs> high school, you know that we get through, and they try to crush our spirit. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, so a p- powerful is is uh, congrat you know for taking that moment with your son like that. That's powerful. And do you only have one son? I um my my wife I remarried. She has a son, and he okay. is my son as well. So Got I have you. two sons. Okay. Um, and, uh, it, it reminds me, there's this movie, it's a wrestling movie, I forget the name of it, it, it just was released, uh, like in the past two years, it had Vince Vaughn, but it's a true story about, uh, a female wrestler, and, uh, she has a, she has a brother, and her and her, her and her brother both grew up in this wrestling family, 
And the brother is super skilled and talented, and they get this opportunity to, to go uh, into the WWF or WWE or whatever. And she gets selected, he doesn't. Hmm. And it causes a big... Oh, even though he had more skills? Yeah. But, but she was female. But, but she, was a, she had a star quality. So the, the guy who was selecting wasn't looking for just skill. He was looking for somebody who he could make into a, a star, like mm. the next rock or right. something, right? He didn't have the star quality, although, although he had the skill talent. But, uh, and so, of course, he was bitter and he was drinking. However, he was also teaching seven boys how to wrestle. And these were, these were boys who otherwise would just be out on the street, you know, in gangs. One boy was blind uh, and all this. And, and he was so angry about his sister uh, getting, you know, getting an opportunity to getting go his pro. his spot. Yep. That he forgot about his value and his importance in the life of these seven. Mm. You know, and it goes back to what your son was saying of, like, I'm praying for who you have. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, it's like when you appreciate what you have and you show gratitude for it, then that, that, is, that multiplies itself naturally. Like, you don't have to ask for more. If you're, you know, my mom always, and she turns 68 in three days. Every day I've ever spent with my mom, I've always heard her say, thank God for my health. Hmm. And knocking on wood, my mom has never been hospitalized, never had any major surgeries, nothing. And I truly believe it's because she spent every day thanking God for her health and not saying, oh, I wish I was 20 pounds less or I wish I could run faster. You know, like not, not wanting more, but just appreciating what she had and that she could see and sh that she could breathe and and you know, as I, as I'm getting older at 43, I'm realizing the the value in that because you you have an athletic background. I do. Yeah. What was your? Well, it's it's interesting you mention it because I'm gonna tangent one sec. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I had a surgery. Okay. Uh, about a month ago, and every time I urinate, even this morning, mm -hmm. blood comes out f at first. Okay. And uh, for uh, for 36 days. Wow. I pee blood, and my doctor's telling me, don't work out. Um, and I I work out every day. Yeah. Um, I, there was one point where I st slowly started stopped bleeding, and I immediately went to the gym for two days, and, and I've been bleeding again for two <laughs> weeks now. And I'm like, I can't work out. I need to chill. Um, and it's really hard for me. Yeah. Uh, because, one, I love the endorphins yeah. uh, of it, uh, plus... Um, I have a fight in March. Uh, I'm uh, the oldest Nevada Athletic Commission boxer, uh, and I'm going to fight at the Westgate. I'm, I'm excited to be the yeah. oldest guy. To, I'm yeah. 55. Yeah. Uh, the, the oldest guy to fight, so I'm really looking forward to uh, a boxing match. But, you know, I got an eight-week camp, and I got to start. Wow. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm wrestling with health, and most of my life, all of my life, I've been a 100% healthy guy, but I had this old man thing yeah. take place. And uh, it's weird because when I go to meetings, occasionally I'll talk about it. And it's so funny that I'm in, this, I'm in a new club. There's hundreds of thousands of guys who've had this. What is it? <laughs> um, I'm just going to call it uh, prostate problems. Okay. Um, that happen to guys over 50. And I've wow. just been astounded how many people are out there who, uh, who've also had you know, surgery and, and problems with this. What, what is it now? Is it usually from uh, overtraining, over, is it usually like in athletes and stuff? Uh, or is it, I don't is it know. Uh, what I know is that I, from 18 so to 50 from something, <laughs> I peed less and less. Every, in my flow continu mm -hmm. continually decreased. And then I went to the doc and he said, your uh, kidney's breaking down because you're, the urine's backing up. Mm. And, and we need to increase the flow out of your uh, urethra. Wow. So they did this. They call it routine surgery, but it still freaks me out. Every time I go to the bathroom and I see, you know, right. cranberry juice coming yeah. out of my Johnson. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, the first time that <laughs> happened to me, uh, I, I thought I had an STD because I was in college. Huh. And then it, it was beets. 
Oh, we, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's okay. It yeah, wasn't yeah, black. I didn't, I didn't realize that beats, you know, did. I mean, you would think of all the things you learned, they would oh. tell you beats make it look like like you've been, like you're, yeah. you've been having internal bleeding. Beats. Yeah. <laughs> so all these years of, uh, you know, working with uh, addiction, uh, I'm going to assume that you struggled with some form of addiction. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what were your addictions? Um, Primarily alcohol, okay. but I also, uh, I like drugs. Um, however, um, I'm, I'm kind of the classic, I, I suffer from codependency uh, as well as alcoholism. Uh, I, I, I clearly have both, um, you know, as well as uh, some shame issues and some, uh, obviously, the proclivity to compulsivity. Um, probably some ADHD in there as well. Let's let's unpack the uh, alcoholism and the because I definitely you know actually I want to start with the codependency. Okay. Can you can you define for us what that means and what that looks like? Because uh, uh, I because you know a lot of people who are struggling with addiction and and other things also struggle with codependency and don't even realize it that may be a component of it. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, what I can tell you first is, is my story that, uh, you know, I went through this life-changing period at, at about 40 years old where I gave up drugs and alcohol, and it was very hard and significant. I, I then, you know, fell in love and moved in with a woman, cool. and we were both in recovery. She had relapsed, and I spent about six months trying to save her. And to the point where I had to move out and separate and, and put a boundary up from her, even though I loved her because she wouldn't stop using. And to me, it was harder to do that than it was to get sober. So, so to me, I learned that addressing my codependency, and, and here I am, I'm running this rehab, I'm becoming a counselor, uh, but I can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved um, was very hard, you know, and also I don't like to lose, you know, when I compete. So, wow. So, so it, was, it was very hard for me to deal with my ego. Um, Whoa. In, uh, in uh, not being able to help somebody. And, and fortunately, um, you know, God has a sense of humor because then my next uh, woman who I also married had the same issue. And, and she... Married me to get clean and was clean for a little while. She ended up going full on into drugs. And, uh, and I tried for multiple years to try to help her yeah. while she pushed it further and further. Uh, and, and I wasn't able to, to get peace until quite some time after I put up a boundary. Um, and, 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 you know, codependencies like that, uh, the, the way to protect yourself is with a healthy boundary. And, uh, and, and the ability to, to be able to maintain those boundaries. So when you say you put up a boundary, how, how did you do that? Because that's, that is so tough. I'm, I'm learning so tough. now how uh, to do that. What, what did that boundary look like for you? Um, you know, for, for me, it meant um, separation uh, when you're engaged in this drug-using behavior. And... Um, you know, she'd come back multiple times crying, uh, you know, appealing to my, I call it Captain Save-A-Ho. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to help her. Um, but, uh, you know, I recognized this pattern after it happened multiple times. I had to put a boundary and, uh, and not take her calls. Um, right, so you blocked her phone calls. Yeah. yeah. You had to, like, unfollow her from social media, I'm assuming. Yeah, all that. And it's tough. It is. And, and it's interesting. It's a process. Just like me stopping drinking, well, it was really just one day. However, there was a, a thousand times where it came up in my head and I was processing it. So that was not just one day. That's been a, uh, a journey. It's the same thing with codependency. There was one day where I finally decided to put the boundary, but there was a thousand times where I, well, maybe if, or, or I, I saw her dad 
someplace, and I liked the family and was close to them. And I said, ah, oh, the dad had come to me and said, thank you for helping my daughter, you know, at one point. And I felt like I'm also letting him down. Um, but, uh, you know, I put up the boundary one day, but it was a process for me to go through that. Was there, uh, when you look back in terms of your, your family and your upbringing, um, were there places where you go, oh, I should have put up a boundary there? Does that question make sense? Yes. No, no, 100% for me. Um, You know, uh, my my dad had uh, a variety of challenges as I was growing up, and I I had some shame from that. Um, But my dad uh, would often want to do business with me. Uh, And and I've been, uh, I'm going to say very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I retired after a 20-year career, uh, you know, with millions of dollars. Um, I I then opened up a rehab. Uh, I then sold it for the real estate, over $20 million. So he sees me as a successful man. Um, And he would, I I go see him about once a month for a lunch or a dinner. Um, And just about every time, he has a little pitch, what we could do together. Um, And and I learned to pivot um, and still let him know I love and I'm with him. But, you know, for more than... More than, uh, certainly since I got sober, so more than 14 years, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing a real estate deal. I'm, I'm not opening up a new business with my dad. I, I love him, but I'm, I'm, uh, I have a boundary. Right. Yeah, because it, 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 people want to latch on to success, and then what they really want is for you to do all the heavy lifting for them. They, I got this idea, and you seem like, a, you know, and, and I, so when I have friends who, because I, I used to be like that with, with anybody who had a problem. I was like, oh, I could, I could fix this. I could, I could figure this out. And, uh, and then I would end up doing most of the work. And now when people come to me with, with projects that they want us to work on together, I give them a homework assignment. And I go, well, get these three things done. And then, and then we'll look at it from there. And you know what? They never get it done. Or I say, well, the problem. contact me six months from now. Con- you know, I, I give them a day. I go, listen, I got a lot of stuff on my plate. What you what you want to do looks to be very important, and I want to give it the the time and attention it needs. Uh, so contact me, you know, six months from now. I never get that six months later, con- you know. Yeah. And and so that lets me know you're not serious. And now it saves me time. It saves you time. And everybody gets to move on. But beforehand, I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, this I was a yes the way. guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the essence to me, I'm old school. You know, the essence to anything, it, it's the work. It's Absolutely. doing the work. Yeah. Um, I, I was a, you know, big employer in town. I had a couple thousand people working for me. And I'd have many people would say, oh, Dave, give me a job. You know, my first answer is send me a resume. And it's weird that less than half the people who ask me for a job can even send me a resume. And they look annoyed at me. Right. When, I, when I pivot back to them and say, send me a resume, they're like, oh, I just wanted the job. I actually just wanted the paycheck. Yeah. Um, do the work. And, and, you know, if I had one reason that I'm successful, it's from my mom. Uh, my mom grew up in Latvia. Uh, she instilled hard work ethic. And, and, and to me, maybe I'm a workaholic, but in whatever I do, I just work hard. Um, as a boxer, you know, people are like, Dave, how, how come you win all your fights? Um, I train really hard. Um, and it's, it's totally unromantic, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. How'd you uh, build a successful company? I, I worked 80 hours oh. a week for 13 years. <laughs> Yo, it's totally unromantic. Uh, first of all, if you when you see me here, I'm not texting. I'm taking I'm taking notes. I'm writing down things you're saying. Um, I I love that because I remember Nike had a commercial where uh, they were like, you know, it's 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 not what you do when everybody's watching is what you do when nobody's watching. And they were like, they had it was like train in the dark, and that's what you know. Every time I get in a relationship. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's girls who see me on stage and I'm like, listen, I'm not the, like the, the guy on stage. Is not, I'm not that guy off stage. Uh, the work that 
it it takes for me to be this gregarious mm. big personality that you see is 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 boring. I'm a boring person. Mm. I like to wake up, meditate, read, work out, read some more, write, eat lunch. I could eat the same three meals every day. Mm. You know, it's unromantic. Like you said, <laughs> the work is unromantic. There's nothing beautiful about, you know, there's yelling involved <laughs> sometimes, right? There's crying sometimes. You're like, why, why am I doing this? Uh, but so I'm glad you said that because I, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, mo- most of what the, the, what the finished product, what e- the Elon Musk's and the, and the Steve Jobs, it's like, it, it, they're by themselves. You didn't get on stage because you're a funny-ass guy. That's part of the reason, but you didn't touch people's hearts. You don't, you know, make them laugh and make them think mm-hmm. by being spontaneous. Right. You, you got to sit down with that paper, and you got to try and trial and error and put that down to hone your craft. Absolutely. And, and, and to me, that's part of the work that I, I think too many people... They see you on stage and like, man, he went to the gym and then he just got up here <laughs> and he's killing it. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't see that unromantic part. That's fantastic. So let's let's go back to the because we talked about the codependency. Let's talk about the addiction part because uh, I also want to come back to the shame part. But let's come back to the addiction part. When when you, um, I, I'm assuming you don't drink anymore now. I do not drink or do drugs. Do drugs. Of any kind. So when we talk about drugs, what kind of drugs are we talking? Is that um, my Well, I, I, uh, when people ask me if they could use drugs, I would say not amphetamines, not narcotics, uh, not benzodiazepines, uh, not uh, barbiturates, uh, and not hallucinogens. Okay. Uh, just classes. Yeah. Um, me personally, uh, I used to follow the Grateful Dead. And uh, I, I also, I, I tended to prefer uh, the amphetamine side, so I like cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays I like coffee, I like caffeine, uh, but I, I, I have no uh, amphetamines of any kind, including, you know, stuff that could be in an Adderall, and I put that whole class mm-hmm. um, in, in, in one category. Um, you know, my... Uh, my gestalt I had running the biggest rehab in Sin City, Las Vegas, and reading all the literature, and, and I've studied uh, the addiction treatment industry, is that we are so, I'll, I won't call us immature, I'll call us adolescent, in really having a addiction treatment evidence-based regimen. They're talking about medication-assisted treatment right now like it's a panacea. And, and I believe most of it is a hustle from Big Pharma. Hey, let's get you off this opiate. We're going to put you on this partial agonist. Uh, as, so to me, I don't buy it at all. Um, what, what I do believe is that I call it the kitchen sink, and I have a menu of 10 things, which I found when we offer to every client that I got better results and long, more people got into uh, long-term recovery, when I offer these 10 things and I'm working on putting together a, uh, a data set where we track enough people who utilize these 10 things, counseling, medication, uh, work, <laughs> work's a big part, housing, um, uh, fitness and yoga, nutrition, and, and going through these 10 things. And an archer may take differently to it. Another person might jump into the yoga proportion. So it's not... I think what we're going to find is that it isn't just medication and it's not just counseling and it's not just 12-step support. It's really offering these, t- these, you know, the 10 things that we offered at Solutions Recovery. And I'm um, hoping to put together a multivariate analysis to, to show that that's really the best way to treat addiction nowadays. Okay, so you, I think you mentioned like six or seven. What are the – can you go through all 10 one more time? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't have the best memory, okay. so I, I might okay. do 11 and I might do 9. All right. But th- I have right. 10 written in my office that All we right. go through. Uh, there, there's a case management component, okay. uh, which is really important. Um, there's a, a family component. And, and sometimes the, the, the family means putting up a boundary, um, you know, because my, my dad, 
he, uh, this Christmas, he gave me a bottle of wine. Uh, Merry Christmas, son. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm 14 years sober, dude. <laughs> he said, you don't drink at all? Astounded. You know, and we've had the conversation a hundred times. Um, so, so to me, the family and, and addressing the family component is important. Um, all right. So, MAT, counseling, housing, work, case management, nutrition, fitness and yoga, family, case management. No, you did case management. Did I do a case management? Yeah. Uh, there's a salon which I put on my campus, and having people feel good about themselves. Wow. Doing pedicures and manicures and, and self-care. We had massage. But, but some of that, uh, I have another story. Can, can I tell one yeah, more story? Yeah, 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 yeah. We got time. I picked up this lady 14 years ago at, uh, from the hospital. Uh, she was severely schizophrenic. Uh, she'd been living on the streets using heroin. She was nonverbal. Uh, we took her to the treatment center. She refused to bathe. The nurses, like, sponge bathed her a little bit, but she didn't want to. Uh, I ended up getting two letters from other clients' families saying, you have to get this animal away from my child who's in your treatment center. How could you allow this travesty to occur? And on the, like, 18th day of treatment, we took her to the salon. And she ended up dyeing hair black and putting a white streak in the middle. It was, it was weird. But the next day, she woke up to breakfast, and she was talking to everybody like a normal person. Get out of and everybody was like, what's going on? And she said, it's really weird, but today's the first day I looked at myself in the mirror, and I didn't see a hopeless drug addict. Um, I, I saw somebody beautiful. And, and, and to me, it's when I heard her story, I recognized uh, that having a salon on my campus and delivering those services, watching a fireman get his toes done and sitting, him, sitting there watching him wiggle his toes after and not having, you know, uh, uh, his, his feet, what do they call it, sanded or whatever yeah, yeah, they do yeah. to him for yeah. the first time and feeling good. And, you know, there, there's, there's something there. Um, and, and again, there's no evidence-based uh, double-blind studies being done utilizing that. And, and to me, that's part of my, my kitchen sink of 10 services. You know, so what was interesting about that, first of all, shout out to you for thinking outside the box, because that's what we, we were talking about at the very beginning. And, and also for bringing to awareness that it isn't just one thing. I'm so tired of these self-help books that go, um, oh, you just need grit or you just need vulnerability or they, 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 they're so reductionistic in their treatment of what's going on when really it requires a multifaceted. It's like, how do you win a football game? It requires 10 things. You need a coach. You need right. players. Right. You need recruiting. You need nutrition. You, you need uh, uh, a great uh, – uh, the workout, the, the personal – the trainers. It, 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 Tom Brady has a, a million he – has, he has his own team mm -hmm. outside the New England Patriots that help him to continue to play. And so – when people go, oh, you, you just have to do this? When I hear the right. word just, right. I go, you, you've already missed the mark, right? right? So uh, shout out for that. But, uh, but what's funny is I realize um, what helps me go to bed at night is uh, that kind of self-care. My own little salon treatment, basically, mm. where... Uh, I've, I've now embraced taking a, a Epsom salt bath hmm. before bed. You know, like just because to me, the bath was, there was something lazy about it. Like I'm here, I'm sitting in a tub, like I just hmm. shingled a roof all day, you know, like, <laughs> you know. And I realized that um, I, I, I am going, going, going all day. And if, and if you don't take moments in the, in the, at the start of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, to reconnect with yourself, to slow things down, instead of always being focused on go, 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 uh, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah. And and so taking that bath, taking that, you know, I, I, I just subscribe to some magazines. I read mag, you know, I, I'm like I'm like an old housewife. Hmm. You know, I'm reading magazines. I got the bath going. But that's because, you know, I spend my day podcasting, 
getting ready for personal going. training. Go, go, go. I'm thinking about everybody else. And right. so I need, I need uh, you know, popcorn time, you yeah. know, so to speak. And I feel it makes me feel good and it gets me in bed versus, uh, you know, going out to a bar for a drink to decompress. Like I, got, I have it at home, you know. I, I had a sponsor tell me, Dave, you need to do a meeting every day. Mm. Unless you're too busy, then you need to do two. Wow. And, and, and I would do it, and I would be so shocked how now that I started the day with a meeting, ended the day with a meeting, I'm actually able to get everything done, and nobody died. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so to me, that, that helped. Uh, that was a, a, a great little uh, pearl uh, that I've got out of recovery. So... Let's talk about the nutrition component okay. about the addiction, uh, your addiction treatment. Talk to me about that. What does that look like? Why is that important? Um, I picked up a weird habit when I first got in recovery, and I started taking vitamins. I didn't take them before I, I got into a recovery. I also dramatically changed my diet. Um, and, you know, chicken, uh, fish way more vegetables and, and uh, you know, way more fruit. Um, and I made sure in every one of my houses at the rehab, we always had a heavier vegetable, a heavier fruits. And, and the people just changed that they used to just eat chips or snack or whatever. And we were way more fruit and vegetable focused. And we started doing some vitamin therapy. And, you know, my wife, she makes fun of me. She's like, you know, you take 19 vitamins every day. I'm like, you know, it's It's weird. I started doing that when I got sober. I go to see a doctor twice a year. He draws 12 vials of blood, and he checks my blood through this uh, lab. And, and he comes in. He's like, Dave, uh, you've been in the sun more. I see your vitamin D levels up. He's like, I, I notice your omegas are down. And I'm like, shit, I, I went from taking three capsules to two. So he, he sees, and he's proven to me multiple times, that he could tell what I'm doing. <clears throat> by looking at my blood work, and, and we just go through what the optimal ranges are, and, and I, uh, I augment my diet, which I, is try to be sensible because I'm a 55-year-old man, with, with uh, nutraceuticals or, you know, with vitamins. Yeah. And I don't know if that keeps me sober, but, I, but I'll tell you another story. My, my sponsor, I asked him, I said, how many meetings do I have to go to a, a week? And he said, well, here's what you do, Dave. Go, you go to seven now. Try going to six for, for a couple weeks, then try going to five, then try going to four, and keep doing it till you drink, and then you'll know. And I said, thank you. I'll just, I'm going to leave my meeting schedule the way it is. So the same thing with vitamins. I don't know if these 19 vitamins I take every day are keeping me sober or keeping me healthy. Um, I understand the science behind them as I meet with a doctor. We check that for a male at my age, I keep my, my levels. And, and he, he, he might, you know, change my B vitamins uh, if, if one are going up or going down. But um, I like the idea of using science to keep my body in, in optimal condition. Right, right. And so uh, besides the, the nutraceuticals that you're, you're taking, um, what, uh, what about on the food side? Um, having three structured meals a day and having it in a, in a communal setting. So uh, at our rehab, everybody had to wake up and have breakfast at a defined time. Everybody had to wake up and have dinner at a defined time. I had a dietitian review the, the meal plan. And, and part of it is social and part of it's behavioral structuring. Um, but, but that was an important part of our, uh, our treatment uh, program. Um, what are, what, all right, so two things that are, that are valuable in what you're saying is, um, because it's a, it's a, it's a new year, 2020, and, uh, a lot of people struggle not only with addiction, but with trying to get their nutrition and diet in place. And what I want to emphasize is that, uh, when we talk about the, the history of mankind and, and who we are and how we evolved, food has always, for the most part, been a social construct. It, it, we were never really eating in isolation. Hmm. And now because uh, we have drive-throughs and things like that, people are eating in their cars, they're eating at their desk. There a lot of a lot of the eating is in isolation 
And food was never meant to be eaten like that. When you eat socially, mm. you eat slower naturally, which is one of the things they, they tell people to do. Uh, in Zen, they say, chew 30 times before you swallow. Oh, my God. And I tell you what, <laughs> it sounds like a lot, but I do it now. Hmm. And it's so natural to me. to you, Like 30 times goes by faster than you think it does. And because it allows you to savor it, because if you're if you're eating something that's really good, like I'm sure you've been in really nice restaurants, you find yourself chewing it longer and savoring it and letting it sit on the tongue versus just swallowing it and meat. Like I'm not scarfing down a hundred dollar meal. Like like I have a buddy who's a chef. I remember he brought up this tiny dessert. Like if you've been to Europe, they had those tiny like the macaroons and stuff. You take a bite, you go, oh, what, what the hell is this? Like, you look at it, right? Right? You're like, you're like, whoa, like, what's this? Like, and you're like, you, you, you play with it on the tongue, and like, you're doing all these things, and 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 when something is savory and it's flavorful, mm-hmm. not, I'm not talking about salty, right? Because no, I- people who just eat salty foods, they don't know what flavor is, right? And once you've had something that's flavorful. You, it actually, you actually let it sit on the tongue, and that's a good <laughs> tip. I'm going to try it. Uh, I'm, I'm a big foodie. Yeah, you know, Joel Robichon has a 17 course meal, uh-huh. and it forces you to have that Zen-like behavior. Yes, because everything's so small yep. and so different, yep. and and noticing on the palate the nuances of it is it's a wonderful experience. I'm a big yeah. fan of it. Uh, I'm going to try your. Uh, I, I sort of rolled my eyes when you talked about the 30 <laughs> shoes. <laughs> but I'm going to try that, man. Fist bump to you. <laughs> um, but, um, but, but yeah, and then also, like, you know, having a routine with your nutrition. You know, a, a lot of it is staying on a routine. Because what the, the importance of the routine, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is that we, we get excited about new opportunities and, and rooms for growth. And it can throw us off our routine. And then that could lead back into addiction. I was talking to uh, my Uber driver uh, two days ago. And uh, he, he's, he's like he's like 100 pounds overweight and he wants to lose some weight. And, and uh, he's like, an, he's an emotional eater. And I said, the emotion you have to watch out for is excitement. Hmm. Because it's... Because excitement is an emotion, it, and it, it, it works the same way as uh, uh, anger or grief or sadness in that it can throw you off. You get so excited about this other, this other opportunity, about this girl, about this pay raise, that then it could throw off your sleep. Right. Remember, like the, the day, the night before school, the first day of school, you were so excited about the first day that you couldn't sleep the night before. That throws off your sleep, which then throws off your performance the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. Which then throws off your eating because it, it spikes. your quir- So it becomes this domino effect. And, and, and research has shown that a lot of car accidents are from emotional driving whether it's Ooh. excitement or anger. Because I, I don't know about you, but I've been in a car a million times where, uh, <laughs> not a million times, but like me and my girl, not my girl now, but me and my ex-girlfriend, like, like we're getting in an argument and she's driving. And, and now because of the argument, like her driving is becoming erratic. Right. Yeah, and, and she's taking, she's not stopping at the stop signs the way she should be. She's taking chances at that, that yellow, right, red light, you know, and... So they found that a lot of car accidents are from people receiving bad news in the car via, you know, the, the text mm. or the phone call, or receiving good news. Like, oh, you got the pay raise, you got the promotion, blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, and then poof, poof, they're not paying attention. Emotions transcend to your behavior, absolutely. including your physical behavior. Absolutely. Makes absolute sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So, you know, I had someone on a podcast before who was saying um, – uh, our ideal state is calm. So, so when I, I find myself getting too high or too low, I go, get back to that ideal state. Mm. You know, and that doesn't mean that you don't get excited, right? And that doesn't mean that you don't allow yourself to grieve or get sad. We're human beings. We're meant to feel emotions. Uh, but it's 
what I found is that when I'm excited, I like to stay excited. So then I'm I'm always trying I I keep I was trying to feed the excitement. Like what else can I do to up? It's like the kids at a party, right? You did drugs. It's like you're high. How do I get higher? You can't we're all Icarus. We're all trying to get how right. close to the sun can I go? And whether it was going to new concerts or better experiences, it was like this rush that I'm seeking. Absolutely. Uh, trying to fill, even though God made this a peaceful place. Yeah. <laughs> what? Take a breath, man. <laughs> <laughs> but 55, you're married. Yep, happily. Two kids. Yep. How old is the oldest? I got an 18 yeah. and I got a 17-year-old. Wow. Now, are are they struggling with drugs at all? Do you see it? Uh, when you were talking earlier, I, I I almost started getting teary. Wow. Because um, uh, my son uh, is struggling, my, my oldest. And um, just like when I had to separate from uh, my prior wife and the girl before that due to their drug use, um, my son isn't me. He doesn't have the same triggers. He doesn't have the same behaviors. And even though I know how to help me stop using, and I have intense desire to jam exactly what works for me on him, because he's of me, um, I, I have to keep reminding myself that just like each of my clients were unique and different, you know, he grew up with a dad who owned the biggest rehab in Vegas. It's sort of like the pa the pastor's kid. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he's got his own whole set of, of stuff that make his experience unique. And, and I'm, uh, you know, pushing him to treatment. And I'm, put, you know, I, uh, this, for his senior year, I, I bought him his dream car. And I put it in the driveway of his, of his house. He lives with his mom. And I said, when you drop me a clean UA, when you pee clean, I'm going to give you the keys. A hundred days went by where my son was crying about not being able to get place and taking long walks while a convertible S2000 sat in his driveway. Um, and I was unbending. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he couldn't put together 30 days. Um, and the problem in his world is me. Um, the problem isn't his inability to, to abstain uh, for 30 days, but he's on the surf team at his high school, and, uh, you know, Dad, everybody does it. I'm like, well, you know, your brain's developing, and I want you to, to hold off until you're 21 or 25 before you start potentially limiting your growth. So that, this is my, my deal. Um, and we, you know, it's, it's, it's my biggest challenge right now is being the right dad for him, allowing him his individual journey while while I'm trying to help him, uh, it's really tricky. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be painful. Oh, it's um, you know the 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 people closest to you, right? It, you realize um, you're, you're in that world of I want to I want to help you, but I also want you to be you. Be you. You know, do you, buddy? I you know I'm. I really, I wrestled in high school. I played on the soccer team. I wanted him to wrestle bad. Yeah. I find we have a natural, you know, I don't know if there was wrestlers in my, right. uh, in my lineage, but I noticed in school very quickly that I naturally just move my hips to be able to throw people and, and, and sprawl, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just a natural wrestler. Um, I noticed with him he is too, but he, he didn't want to wrestle. You know, Dad, I want to surf. I don't want to hang out with those jocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, ugh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I must tell you, there was probably a hundred times post-school where as an adult I got into a situation and and I was like, thank God that my natural instinct is to wrestle. Boy, was that cool. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, even at this age, somebody came up to me six months ago. And then all of a sudden, I was on top of them, and they were on the ground, and they were like, wow, Dave, you know, with that person out of control, it was a good thing that happened. And I was like, yeah. You know, thank you, uh, Coach Gianni. <laughs> Can I ask you this? 
how have you have you taken a second to validate where he's at? Um, I try to, uh, but I but I will tell you. You know, I don't want to talk about all of this on air, but he's he's screwing up more than I'm letting on. Gotcha. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, and it was one of those things where, you know, it's it's even with all our education and all our tools, we realize that we are how much we can help has a certain. There's only so much capacity and room for that, and then the rest is on. The, you know the people around us, and uh, we exchange "I love yous" every day. Absolutely. So he knows I love him. Yeah. Whether I'm validating his successes, no, you know, not his successes, but just his 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 feeling. Like, do do you feel like you're 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 hearing him? Yeah, I I, yes. I just took him to Idaho for four days mm. to stay in a cabin. Specifically, because I recognized on the third day I was going to have a talk with him that I knew he'd be, uh, I'll say, withdrawing gotcha. for the first few days. And yeah. I, I knew I wasn't. So I was just cool yeah. first two days. But on the third day, we had a bunch of talks. And, right. and it was really good. And that's uh, so my most important role. I, 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 we did a big camping trip in Oregon. We did a different one in, in Idaho earlier this year. So I, I do spend some time with him. I keep a house down there, and I spend 10 days of the month, you know, where I try to have a couple meals with him while I'm down there. Um, and I cherish the little bits of connection which I may get, yeah. uh, recognizing that many times I drive down there and I spend a weekend, mm. and I see him a bunch of times, but we never really, you know, he's, he's looking at his phone, rolling his eyes. He's like, all right, I... I know you were here, Dad, so I came to see you, okay? I'm going to go see Amanda now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you just, and, and the thing is, it just keeps showing up, right? Yep. Just keep showing up. I remember um, my, I, at my dad's funeral, I've, I, Sorry. I, I met my, this was like eight years ago, but, mm. you know, he was sick for so long, mm. for so many years. So by the time he passed away, you were almost, you know, but you were relieved that he was no longer suffering, you know. Okay. Uh, versus it being a sudden death, that would have, I, that would have destroyed me in, in ways I'm, I can't even imagine. Hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, I met, I have two older sisters on my dad's side uh, through my dad that I had never met until his funeral. Hmm. And, of course, it was rocky in the beginning, us getting to know each other. Um, and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to reach out and keep it. Cause it was hard to reach out because it's like, what do you say? This is, this is awkward. It's weird. And I was like, I'm just going to keep reaching out. And I, and I just believe that uh, if you keep reaching out at some point, uh, the relationship clicks hmm. and then it, it doesn't feel like work anymore. But I had to keep telling myself it's it's gonna feel like work for a while because you're we're both old, and this it, it, is it is weird. And what do you say? And uh, even though we're brother and sister, it's like we're still people who don't really know each other, and that's gonna take time. And uh, what kept me going, and this is gonna be strange, Charles Manson. <laughs> There's a there's a TV show on it was like TBS, I forget I forget which which station it is. It's on I think it's on it's on Netflix. It's a series I forget the name of the series, but it's uh but it's like this fictional non-fictional uh, series on Charles Manson, and Charles is trying to get to this guy who's a lawyer, and. Uh, and and Charles is like, I'm, I'm gonna get you one day, you know, just not not in terms of murder, but like cracking him psychologically. And he said, uh, he said, water shapes the rock, right? And I never forgot that hmm. because it's like you know I've been to the Grand Canyon and I've seen what water can do, right? 
you give it long enough, it's going to shape the rock, you know? And, and so that's how I, that's my approach to things that are tough. I love the analogy. I'd use Confucius rather than <laughs> Charles Manson. <laughs> Did Confucius say the same thing? I think so. Well, yeah. man, he got that from Confucius. Yeah. I got it from Charles Manson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's and, so funny. And it, it goes back to, you know, the, the unromantic. It's the hard work. Wow. It's the consistency. Water shapes the rock. Yes, sir. Water wins that. What um, are there any books that you've read that um, that have kept you on the um, on a on a path of sobriety? Or it, it doesn't have to be self help. It could be like a, a, a you know a, a fiction book or. Well, the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, right, is right. something that I still go back to mm-hmm. and and read. Mm-hmm. Um, again, unromantic. It's like, dude, I've already read that. Right, you know, right, you know right. what? I, I got a sponsor who's pushing me to to go through it again, mm. and um, and I find uh, I still get pearls uh, in there, which help me. Um, you know, I'm in this pesky doctoral program right now, and it makes me read tons of books. Um, I uh, I'm reading Spark uh, right now for personal, and and that's uh, talking about. Um, fitness and how the reason you should do 60 minutes of fitness a day is not for your body. It's for your brain. And it talks about a bunch of studies on how the increased blood flow, mm-hmm. they implemented a fitness program in a middle school and the kids had reduced obesity. There was The kids did way better fitness, but then they came out with their, all their standardized tests and the kids were doing like 30% better on all the academic tests. And, and understanding that that, uh, that link uh, but between fitness uh, and, and the brain and, you know, keeping your, your cardio at, you know, 90% of your maximum heart rate for, for a good portion uh, each day uh, and, and what that does to you. Um, and the way the world is nowadays that they want everything to be evidence-based so actually reading some of the double-blind studies and see how that comes into play, despite the fact that they're, they're almost all at this point immature and riddled with bias, we're still pulling out pearls. Um, so I'm, I'm reading this book, Spark, uh, and I'm enjoying it. Fantastic. And that, is that Spark, is that with a Q at the end or RK? RK. RK. Um, do you have any daily routines? Are there things that you, like, do you, do you have a morning routine or I a nighttime? Do. What's your I morning do. routine? Um, I pray, and I got I got two prayers. I, I do uh, every morning. I have a little Moroccan prayer rug next to my bed, so I pray first thing. Um, I uh, I think I go to the bathroom, uh, start the coffee, and then I got a meditation station, and I go sit in my meditation station. And uh, I, when I was ten years sober. Somebody pointed out that in the 11th step, it says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And I was like, well, I have the ADHD exclusion for meditation. I I could pray, but meditate, that's just beyond my pay grade. And then they said to me, well, I've heard that half measures avail us nothing. And I was like, oh, you know, you got me because I don't want to do this half. So at about 10 years, I ended up, paying a yogi from Beverly Hills to do eight one-hour TM lessons with me. And and she taught me transcendental meditation, and it worked, and it blew my mind. Um, And I I don't get into a full TM state every day. Uh, That would be a lie. Uh, But I do go through that process and and quiet myself till the coffee's ready. Um, In this, it's a special area I have with Buddhas and candles, um, upstairs in a balcony within my bedroom. Um, my wife sleeps later, but so I do it in the dark. Uh, so prayer, meditate. Um, I work out every day, uh, not for the last 36, which is killing me. <laughs> but uh, so let me ask you about the workout. Is it that you can't? Is it I mean, you could clearly you can move, you can walk, you just can't? Is it about really not getting your heart rate up to a certain? I have a scab inside here uh. that I keep breaking, which is why I've been pissing blood for 36 
days. Yeah. Um, I'm also I'm I'm going to Patagonia oh. on Saturday. Wow. And I, I really want to be not peeing blood when I leave the country to be in Patagonia. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm not working out. And, and, uh, I waited like uh, just about a week, and I went and I went to the gym, and I was like, all right, I won't do crunches, but I'll do chest arms, you know. Uh, and I I ended up knocking this scab off so somehow there's a scab in me right, that i'm right, trying right, to have settled right, so right. no i'm not working out i'm not doing anything and it's very hard for me hopefully what, i'm what's taking that. you to patagonia just to get um, outdoors i travel yeah. i travel the world yeah. I, you know my wife and i we were up in everest uh, we were in the dolomites this summer um we, we you, travel a climb, lot. Did you hike Everest? Or did we you went get to, base to base camp. camp. We wow. went to base camp. It was an eight-day, yeah. beautiful hike. Yeah. Uh, my wife's an eight-year Marine. Oh. She's tough as nails. Right. And uh, the, the two of us, we climb mountains all over the world. Wow. Um, there's a couple big hikes in Patagonia. Plus, there's a, a couple kayaks where you could go to calving glaciers and supposedly touch the glacier where it's right. calving. Right, right. And uh, we're just going to go to Patagonia. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm planning a trip to, to do Machu Picchu. Beautiful. Uh, next year, or this year, this year for, our, for my birthday. So me and my girl are looking at There's Huayna Picchu and Maya Picchu. You could summit both in the same day. So I recommend you, you hit both. I how, took my, how long does that take? Uh, oh, in the same day, you said, Same right? day. Oh, okay, same day. fantastic. Uh, funny story. I'm walking to do Huayna Picchu with my son. Uh-huh. We're going through the jungle. Yeah. My son's brave. He must have been, I don't know, 11. Uh-huh. He's walking out in front in the jungle. All of a sudden, my son turns, runs, puts his foot here on my chest, and then climbs onto my head. <laughs> <laughs> and I look, and I just see the middle of the snake wow. as it goes across from in the jungle here to out of the jungle, yeah. I didn't never saw the head. I just yeah, saw yeah. the middle of the snake yeah, yeah. going by. <laughs> but uh, it was a moment I'll never forget because <laughs> my son's natural reaction was to yeah. just like ball up Did on my just head. Did you two go hike, or uh, were you with a group? I went with, with uh, a girlfriend. Oh, okay, so it was just the three of you uh, and her kid. It was the four of us. And so you didn't go in as a part of a group or no. anything. Is is the trail that laid out easily? Yes. yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and there's too many tour buses, but it, it's still uh, a place you should go, absolutely. Oh, man, that's even better. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize it was, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I got to go to a group and blah, blah, blah. Um, be to, is there anything else about what you do um, in terms of the addiction that, that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? <laughs> or is there any other messages you want, you know, for the listeners out there who are struggling with addiction that you want to say to them? Um, what, what I'd like to say is that, uh, I could go anywhere in the world I want. I could do anything in the world I want. Uh, last night I brought a bunch of pizzas to a detox and I first, I went to the girls unit and I brought pizzas and I hung out and then I went to the male unit and I hung out and I talked to these new guys and to me, I could do anything in the world I want. And people are like, well, why were you in the indigent detox on New Year's Eve, Dave. Um, and, uh, and it's because I could have anything I want. And, um, and, and helping our brothers and sisters is why we're here. And it took me a long time to figure that, and I was really seeking. Uh, but helping our brothers and sisters is, is why we're here. And uh, that's my message. The, the last thing, and I ask this of all my guests, and, I, and you know, you, you don't have your PhD yet. You're not a licensed like, but for I always feel like there's always one person listening who's on the cusp of completing suicide. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? Um, I don't. Uh, you have feelings that you are a burden, and they are feelings, and they are not true. They're just your feelings, this feeling of burdensome. Um, I want you to recognize that when I was 17, I struggled, you know, with suicide, and I had some hopelessness. And 
I can't even list all the amazing experiences that I've been able to go through uh, here on this planet. Um, so there is hope. And, uh, you know, get some help. I have a long story I won't tell you when I was on Denali um, where I learned to stay on my rope team. Uh, figure out who's in your rope team and, and tie on to somebody else. We don't have to do this human experience alone. You could do it with somebody. You know, call and reach out to somebody. Just like you reached out to your, your half-sisters, where at first it might have seemed funny, but you stayed at it. And now you probably, I'm just guessing, I don't know you, you probably have a good, authentic relationship with them. And I would say the same thing to someone who may be contemplating suicide. Hang on, reach out. Thank you so much, Dave. This is such a powerful episode. For the listeners out there, remember this podcast is not a substitute for you reaching out, getting help, uh, calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number, call somebody, call an enemy, call, call a friend. Um, thank you for tuning in, the rating at five stars. Please go to Apple Podcasts, leave a comment. I love reading the comments, and I'll read those on the episode. We will talk to you soon.